morning. Welcome all of you in this room and watching online. Let me say something before we dive in, just as a PS to the announcement or that Alyssa shared about School 10, which was great. I had opportunity to, to be with a handful of our staff that were there um, welcoming those students back for the first time, Rochester City School District anyway, um, in School 10. And, um, but one thing she didn't say, and it really is a compliment to you all, thank, I'm thanking you all, that not only were we there, which was fun, but every one of the teachers in that school and they just renovated. It's a great uh, place if you haven't seen it, Walter Cooper School, um, number 10. They, um, every one of the teachers got a, a, a bag with a note, you know, a little, few little gifts in there, but a, a note from one of our staff or leaders just thanking them, praying for them, you know, encouraging them, um, thanking them for, their, for beginning uh, this year. And every one of the students that came back, which was about half of their 400 or a little under 400 kids, also um, that was delivered to them on that day, uh, thanks to you all. So I just wanted to acknowledge that. That was great. We look forward to continuing our partnership with those students and those schools. Today we're in the final message of the Way Forward series, and that is a way of talking about the life of faith. Okay, We've been talking about this, the way forward. Life is difficult. Life is challenging. The world is broken. The world is challenging. It always has been. And God offers us, beginning in Abraham and all the way true to this day, in Jesus, nothing has changed. He says, I want to show you a way forward, a unique way forward to make your way in life. You're not going to make it on your wits. You're not going to make it on your ingenuity. You're not going to make it on your, on your good deeds or even your religion. There is only one way to really make it forward in this life. It's called the way of faith. And Abraham, so many chapters are spent on his life because it's a template for all of us who forever and ever, including today, to understand what does it mean to live? How do we live in this world, in this thing called faith? The chapter we're looking at today, Genesis 22, is the most well-known act of faith in the life of Abraham, and that is the sacrifice of Isaac. It serves, you could say, as a counterpoint to the original call, where we started this series six weeks ago, uh, Genesis chapter 12. It's kind of a counterpoint, but only together, so important we hear this, this morning's message, only together do they complete the lesson that is this man's life. If you really want to learn from the life of Abraham, you need to see it all, and only together does the lesson come together. And here's what it tells us, the whole picture. That um, only here do we understand what it really means to walk with God. Only here do we understand how serious faith is, okay, the way forward. So this is an opportunity for us to think about it as we think about our own lives. Genesis chapter 22, we'll look at the first 12 verses in a message titled, The Test of Faith. The Test of Faith. Follow along as I read, beginning in verse one. Sometime later... God tested Abraham, okay? So Abraham doesn't know that's coming, but that's what this chapter is about. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey. 
he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, he replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. The test of faith. A couple questions this morning as we look at this final message in this series as we kind of try to make sense of the life of Abraham. The first question is this, does God have first place in your life? Okay, hold on to that question. Does God have first place in your life. Now, this all started, as I mentioned, 40 years ago, but, uh, you know, 12 chapters ago, um, with a promise. Actually, there were two promises. The promise that Abraham got was for a son or an offspring, and then also for a piece of property, very big one, that he walks through in Genesis 12, which today we would call the nation, uh, the land of Israel. But throughout that promise, of course, Abraham and Sarah struggled to believe. Okay, that's why you got to see the whole, the finishing uh, story here. They were not very, um, they didn't have much faith. They struggled time and again and again and again in those chapters. After 25 years, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, in uh, Genesis 15, the promise comes, but ultimately in 18 and in 21, the child is born. Um, the, they, they get this child 25 years but guys, this is, what, this is one of the important things about this passage is this. That's not the end. The promise of the child, which was huge, right? This old couple to have a child, the promised child. And then to be able to ultimately have a family um, with this child was the means to the end. Genesis chapter 12 said, listen, yes, you're going to have a child. That's the means. But the promise... That started with, listen, Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you and you are going to be a blessing to all the world. So what's the point? Listen, God blesses you. God blesses me. Uh, you know, one of the greatest things any of us could do, you know, people talk about a gratitude journal, however you want to do it, is to take time every single day to think about what God has done and is doing in your life. God gives, has blessed you and blessed me beyond measure. But God blesses you, friend. God blesses me in order that you might be a blessing to others, right? So yes, Abraham waited for this amazing promise and it was great and it was delivered just as the Lord had said, Genesis 21. But that was not the end game. Abraham's greatest test, as it turns out, 
was not waiting 25 years for the birth of a child through one mishap after another. His greatest test was at the end of 40 years right here. And the picture that we have of Abraham before Genesis 22 is not very exemplary. If I didn't have Genesis 22, I would never have preached this message. Uh, I'm talking about this series. I wouldn't tell you as a congregant, I wouldn't tell my kid if I had one to say, listen, this is the model of how you're supposed to live by faith. I wouldn't say that. Because Abraham and Sarah would not have demonstrated it until you get to the end of this story in Genesis chapter 22. However, here's what I think is interesting. I don't know if this is how you felt as we read these verses. The Abraham that we have here, that we experience here, seems to be a very different man, right? Now it says after some time, okay? A lot of time has elapsed since the last time we talked to him as far as years uh, on the calendar. But Abraham is a very different man here. He gets this command. Abraham, I command you. This is what I want you to do. Take your son whom you love, right? Let me remind you, whom you love, and I want you to sacrifice him. Now, this isn't just a hard thing. It's not just a difficult thing. It's not just a, you know, an unexpected thing. It's, it's a completely crazy thing because everything about Abraham's life has been defined. The last 40 years in his relationship with God from Genesis 12 to Genesis 22 has been defined by this promised son and what this promised son would mean. So when God says to him, listen, I want you to take your son and offer him in a manner of speak to kill him, it, does, it's, it goes against everything that his life has been about. But what's so interesting to me, and I hope it is to you, is that Abraham seems to take this in stride. He, there's no complaining, as he's done in other chapters. There's no balking. There's no what about this, how about that. Abraham simply goes through the motions in a very matter-of-fact kind of way well why is that well I think Abraham knows something that most of us miss okay is God does God have first place in your life Abraham knows something in this chapter that most of us miss either because we're not Jewish and we didn't grow up in a Jewish system. Of course, the Old Testament, Abraham's the father of the Jewish people. And there's a, this, is, this is all about worship. Offer your son. We're going to go and worship, right? Verse 7 or 8. So Abraham knows something that we know because we're not Jewish. But he also knows something maybe because we're not serious Christians. And what is that? He knows this. That first things belong to God. Okay? First Things belong to God, if you know the Bible. As we look out even later after Genesis into Exodus and into the Pentateuch, the first cattle belongs to God. The first grain belongs to God. In those days, they didn't have currency. They would, their tithes and their offerings would be the first fruit of their crops. We called it the first fruits. It came to God. Listen, the first sons, Genesis, or excuse me, Exodus 20 and other places came to God. Now, in, 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 in that case, in the Old Testament covenant, you weren't to kill your firstborn son, but you, when you had a firstborn son, because all first things belong to God, you would come to the tabernacle or the, ta- or, or the um, temple and you would redeem your son 
that it's an exchange, like taking your cans back, right? You redeem your son and you say, listen, this really belongs to God. So I'm going to, here's the, here I'm going to pay the price to demonstrate, my son's going to live, but I'm going to demonstrate that this child, in a manner of speaking, belongs to God. All first things belong to God. So you see, Abraham knew that. But let me say something else about what's so interesting about this passage, paying close attention. God didn't ask Abraham to kill his son. See, people were offended by this passage because they don't really take time to read it. He he didn't ask Abraham to kill his son. He asked Abraham to offer his son. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. Verse five, we're gonna worship and then we're gonna come back. Listen, if the command was to kill his son, why would he need to go three days out into into some place way off here in the Mount Moriah? Could have killed him right there. Not only was it an offering, okay, it was an act of worship, but it's a specific kind of offering. Sacrifice him there. It's twice mentioned in this passage, by the way, a, as a burnt offering. Now, what is a burnt offering? Okay. You need to interpret scripture with scripture. There's a huge message being here, but we, we gloss over it. We miss it. A burnt offering, in, in, in the Jewish system of which Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation, by the time anyone was reading the book of Genesis, The whole Pentateuch had been written. The people are already worshiping in the manner of speaking that was common knowledge of them, the sacrificial system. There are five offerings in the Jewish system. Five. And they're in the first uh, five or seven chapters of the book of Leviticus. The first offering, which is the most important offering, which is the most prominent offering, the one that is done more than any in the history of Israel, is the burnt offering. Leviticus chapter 1. And the burnt offering, often called the whole burnt offering. Why was it called the whole burnt offering? Because of all the offerings that you have in the book of Leviticus, the whole worship system of Israel, this is how the system worked. Strange to us, because our system isn't like that. But whether it was to worship God, to thank God, to acknowledge God, or to see a forgiveness of sin, you would bring the prescribed animal, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, and here's my lamb. And they offer it, and the priest offers this sacrifice. Now when it's over... This is how gracious God is. Does God need your cattle? Does God need your money? Does God need your fruit? Of course he doesn't need it. We offer it as an exercise of worship. It's for us. It's not for him. So here's what happened in in, in nine times out of ten. When it was over, you go to the back door of the temple, and the priest says, here's your leg of lamb. Go home and enjoy it. And then he would actually take some for himself. In other words, the, the act of worship was giving your best to God, but then God didn't need it. God, well, you would get it back or the priests would get it as a part of their pay in a manner of speaking, except for the burnt offering. The whole burnt offering, the most common one, was put on the altar and they said, listen, you burn that thing down until there's nothing left. Because the whole burnt offering was, was an illustration of total devotion and total consecration to God. This was the heart of the Jewish system and Abraham knew that when God said, go offer your son the only son that you love. Here's the principle, guys. At the heart of faith is worship. At the heart of faith, your faith, if you have one. At the heart of faith is worship and the heart of worship is giving your best to God. Time, money, talent, thought life, devotion. The heart of faith is worship. 
the heart of worship is giving your best to God. Now listen, it's not because God needs it. Some people listen to me here, oh, that's why I always knew Christianity, or people just want your money. God just wants a pound of your flesh. Let me tell you something. You don't know your Bible, if you think that, friends. God, why is what I just got done telling you? You come in the front door, you come out the back, God gives it back to you, okay? We offer our first to God, we offer our best to God. Listen very carefully. Not because God needs anything. He doesn't need anything from me or you. It's because we, because of those things that we love the most or that we fear the most. Abraham, offer your son, wait for it, the one whom you love. The things that we love the most, even good things like our children, even good things like our career, even good things like our physical health, even wonderful things like our family. The things that you love the most or the things that you fear the most are keeping you and keeping me from God having full access to your life. They become, in a manner of speaking, a kind of God of their own, right? These things become, in a manner of speaking, they can become a functional God. They demand our greatest energies. They receive our greatest devotion. But here's the problem. Even if it's your kids, even if it's your family, even if it's your good works, right? In the end, they will disappoint you because they're not big enough to deliver on the true needs of your heart. And because people and you and I don't understand that, we blow up our careers, we end our marriages, some of us end our lives. Abraham, offer your son whom you love. Now at the last second in this passage, verse 12, God intervenes, right? Abraham, don't plunge that knife into your son. And he reveals when he intervenes the real purpose of this test. And friends, it's the real purpose of every test of faith, including the ones you're gonna have today or tomorrow or the next week. They all have one purpose. That's why it's here. Abraham's the father of all those who believe. And the purpose of the test is to reveal whether or not Abraham feared God. Now I know that you fear me. Okay, now, what does that mean? The heart of faith is worship. The heart of worship is giving your best to God. What do I mean by fear? See, again, do we know our Bibles? The beginning of, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding. We're not talking about God's judgment. We're not talking about condemnation. We're not talking about God's gonna squash you out because of you did something bad. Some people think that. That's not what the fear of the Lord is. The fear of the Lord in a worship context is talking about awe. It's talking about reverence. It's talking about the recognition of a being that is beyond your comprehension and beyond your control. Okay? If, if you worship a God that is not beyond your comprehension, you kind of figured him out, or beyond your control, you know how to manipulate him through your good deeds or your, you know, your, your, your wisdom, then he's not the God of the Bible. Only a God that is big enough to have awe-inspiring worship by you or by me, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, is able to move you beyond yourself. That's the point. 
in the end, does Abraham know how God's going to work this out? He has no idea. All he says, he doesn't, he's not lying. He's not, he's not telling. He says, listen, all I can tell you, son, is, Father, I got the fire, I got the wood. Where's the lamb for the offering? The Lord will provide. Abraham doesn't know how this is going to end, but he knows this. God loves him, God is for him, and God will figure this out. He walked with God long enough to realize, I'm going to stop trying to figure out how God does his job. The Lord will provide. Romans 12, listen to these passages, so important. You've heard these passages many times. Let me give them some new meaning to you. When Paul's writing Romans chapter 12, you guys have heard this verse, most of you. Let me tell you, all scholars would agree. He's in the back of his mind, and often New Testament writers have something in the back of their mind. They're unpacking a truth of Romans 12. He's the, in the back of his mind is the whole burnt offering. Because the people that were first ch- ch- Christians, New Testament, many of them, the majority of them, were Jewish And one day they were Jewish going to temple and tabernacle. Next thing, they weren't going there anymore. And there's a lot of anxiety in their lives because they said, gee, we believe Jesus is the Messiah. We're here, but gee, we don't have to eat kosher foods anymore. We don't have to wear these clothes anymore. We don't have to live, you know, we don't even worship the way anymore. There's no more sacrificial system. What are we gonna do? We feel naked. We feel like we're, we're, we're sort of free radicals out there. Paul says, take a breath. There is a sacrificial system. And the most important and the most prominent of the Worship sacrifices has maintained. In fact, it's the center of the Christian life. It's called the whole burnt offering. Here it is. Instead of, but it's not a lamb. It's you. That's, but this is what he's talking about. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, don't worry. There's still a worship system. In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, your lives, as a living sacrifice, Holy and pleasing to God, Leviticus chapter 1. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. That's the temptation that you and I have. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to circle it. Here's our word. Test and approve what God's will is. You want to know what God's will is? You'll know when you learn what it means to surrender your life. Okay. is does God have first place in your life? Or, here's the question, do you spend your best days and your best hours playing the world's games, seeking the world's approval, worshiping the world's gods? That's what Genesis 22 is about. Second thing. Number one, is God first in your life? Second question. Are you willing, this is the heart of the message, to surrender what you love most? Abraham! Take your son, comma, whom you love. He doesn't say, take, Abraham, take your, your, uh, you know, your, your uh, nephew who you don't like that much. <laughs> take your son whom you love. But it's not only crucial for the life of Abraham, his life of faith, it's crucial, this test, this question, for anybody in this room and in this world who really wants to live by faith. Okay? Do you really know what it means to walk with God? Do, I, do you know how serious faith is? Let me say this. Testing, that's how this chapter started, right? The, the narrator says it. The Lord wanted to test Abraham. 
Testing is not a marginal experience in the life of faith. Like, oh yeah, you know, I've been a Christian a long time and back when I was in college, I had one and, and you know, last year I had one and, you know, woo, I had one of these tests, you know. No. Testing is not a marginal experience. It's a feature of the life of faith. And the longer you live, if you're in this game called faith, the more intense the tests come. Okay? Genesis 15, Genesis 18, that was just a, you know, double, in, in the park double. This is the real test. Genesis 22, for the life of Abraham. Okay? God tests us in order, think about this, he tests us in order to know who of us is serious about our faith and to know in whose lives he can become fully God. God tests us in order to know who of us in this room, in this life, is serious about faith and in whose life he can become fully God. Okay, That's why surrender is so important. Because we're holding on to things that are getting in God's way. Okay? Faith is not about getting things from God, right? This whole kind of, you know, you've seen this on TV, you know, this name it and claim it thing. Faith isn't about getting things for God. So he's, he's beyond your comprehension. He's beyond your control. Who are you kidding? I'm going to do this and God's going to do that. Faith is not about getting things from God. Faith is about, the heart of faith is surrender in a manner of speaking. Faith is about God getting more of you. God says, I want to know, Rob, if I can be fully God in your life. Because unless I can be fully God in your life, then we can't do very much together. God wants to, in a manner of speaking, this is what the life of faith is. Abraham, I want you to bless the world. He wants to put a fire hose in your hand. Do you ever have a hold on a fire hose? It's a pretty big deal. He wants to put a fire hose in your hand, but he can't do it until you put your squirt gun down. That's the problem with many of us. Whether that squirt gun is your family, your fears, your anxieties, whatever the case may be. Listen to the New Testament commentary on this. By faith, Abraham, love the New Testament, it helps us understand the old. When God tested him, think Genesis 22, he offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises, see Abraham thought he was done, was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Watch this. Even though... God had said to him, quote, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, the whole point of your life was going to be realized through this son, which you waited for and you got, and it's wonderful, you threw the party, and now God says, plunge a knife into his heart. <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense. Now watch this. Abraham reasoned. Why, did, why was he so cool and calm and collected and obedient? Abraham reasoned, this is what faith is, friends, that God could even raise the dead and in, so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac. And the way I'm saying is, listen, do I know how God's gonna work this out? I have no idea, son. All I can tell you is the Lord's gonna provide. But this is what I know about after walking with God for these years. I know this, that God is beyond my comprehension. He's beyond my control. And I have absolutely no idea how this is gonna work out, but guess what? If there's a way, he can find a way. He can figure it out. And I'm past trying to figure out God's next move. Okay? Surrender, here's the the application of this message, is a choice 
Okay? It doesn't happen. A lot of people are Christians and decades go by and nothing in their life changes. Surrender is a choice to let something go, to release it, and give it up. And that letting go is what allows God to have more access to your life. Because that God is not going to micromanage. God's not going to work in your life that way. You bitter, you angry, you frustrated, you, 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 have, un, you have an unrealized longing or ambition, you won't let it go. It's become your functional God. God's not going to wrestle it from your hand. Abraham. Abraham could have said no. <laughs> A lot of people do. Take your son whom you love. Take that bitterness that you can't let go of. Take that unforgiveness that's been dragging you down. Take that ambition that's been driving your life. And I want you to sacrifice it on the mountain, I'm going to tell you. It's up to you whether or not you're going to do that. The question is this. What's keeping God from being fully God in your life today? This is a question I want you to think about. There's not a person in this room, including this pastor, of which God is fully God in my life today. Same with you. So the question is, what's keeping God from being fully God in your life today? Here's some examples. A bitterness. Well, that's a big one. People hold on to bitternesses their whole lives. You know, I never got this. I got the shaft. I'm not pretty. I'm not tall. I'm not this. I'm not that. And all those things are true. You know, my dad died when I was four months old. You know, welcome to the Rochester. You know, what, what are you, you going to hang on to that for the rest of your life? It's not the point. You know, that, that becomes your functional God. You got to let God be God. Maybe it's a fear. That's really your functional God. Maybe it's an unfulfilled longing. I'm waiting my whole life for this. This wife, husband, kid, promotion. That's, my, that's who I'm really serving. Maybe it's, how about this one? It's, this is a big one. Personal failure. Okay? I, I blew this marriage. I blew this thing. I, I blew it so bad. There's no hope for me. That's, what's keep, that, that's the thing that some people perhaps more than any other need to surrender, personal failure. Is God bigger than your personal failure? Some of us, if we pay attention to these things, you know, I'm talking about the Christian world, there's been some big personal failures lately, okay? I'm talking about Christian leaders, a very, very big one, just in the last week or two. There's been another, there's been two, two huge ones, you know, Billy Graham size in the last six months, Okay? It's big. Is it bigger than God? Is it, the biggest failure that I know of, I mean the, the one that's easy to reference, is, is a guy named Peter. And Peter, okay, for all the world to know for thousands of years, Peter was not only the, uh, uh, an apostle, pretty, there's only 12 of those, he's not only an apostle, he's the quarterback of the apostles. And yet Peter is a guy when everything was coming together, when all was making sense, the, 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 the crowning moment of his life as Jesus was about to re reach his mission and they were there to help him and serve him and, 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 and be with him. And Peter, oh my goodness, you talk about personal failure. Not once, not twice, but three times. I don't know the guy, never heard of him. I think in one of the gospels it says, he expletive, expletive, expletive. Right? If there, were, if there was Twitter, that would have been on Twitter in those days. It was, it was a public moment. I don't know anything about this guy. I have, he's, he's nothing to me. Okay. 
Now, when Jesus Christ rises from the dead, Mark 15, the angel, this is so interesting, the angel knows all these details. The women are there, they're the first ones to see Jesus rise from the dead, and they, they're, all, they're, they're amazed, who's ever sees someone rise from the dead? And the angels, now they're talking to an angel, right? and the angel says, this is what I want you to do. Go tell the disciples and Peter that I rose from the dead. Now, why does, he, why does the writer tell you that? Why would you say the disciples and Peter, like the disciples and, and James and John? Well, because Peter at that point, and, and the angel knew this little detail. Peter had said after he failed, I'm done. I'll never be in the ministry again. I'll never, I'll never open my mouth again. God, Jesus wants nothing to do with me. His failure had become his functional God. And he said, I'm done. It's bigger than God. But Jesus, in John 21, you know this story, many of you do, he goes and finds Peter on a beach. The risen Jesus, the Lord Jesus. And he comes to find Peter. Peter! I have a question for you. Do you love me? Oof. Oof. Yeah, I love you. I love you. Please, please change the subject. Got another question. Do you love me? Yeah, I love you. I love you. I, you know you know I love you. Please talk to somebody else. A third time, of course, Mirroring his failure. Do you love me more than you hate yourself? Hey, that's what Jesus was asking him. Do you love me more than you hate yourself? Is God first in your life? Right. Peter says, yes. You know what happened after that? Everything we know, the reason we're talking about Peter today, just like we're talking about Abraham, all of Peter's great achievements happened after that moment, right? Acts 2, Acts 10. Peter became a giant after his failure, not before it. What's keeping you from God being fully God in your life today? Are you willing to surrender what you love most? Okay, that's the question. Final question, wrap it up of this passage. Do you believe the Lord will provide everything you need? Let me say a lot in a couple minutes, two minutes. Do you believe the Lord will provide everything you need? So this is the basis of faith. This, this is the basement, the foundation. Father, we got the wood, we got the fire, but where's the lamb? The Lord will provide it. The Lord will provide it. Abraham stands head and shoulders above all the other great names of the Old Testament, right? All of them are mentioned. We hear about, you know, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, and we hear these other names. But above all of them is Abraham. Why? Because Abraham is the father of all those who believe, which is another way of saying, if you want to know how to make your way forward in the world, this is how, <laughs> This is how. That's why he's so... He's celebrated in the New Testament not because he was of his accomplishments, but because of the model of what he's saying to you. Because there's only one way forward. There's one way forward. And that way forward is the, the way of faith. It's not easy. It, it's, 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 it's looking at your own failures. Looking, it, it's not about you. right? It's about God having 
being fully God in your life. And God can only be fully God in your life when you take yourself off of the pedestal, when you get out of your own way. That's what Abraham does. He finally gets out of his own way. That's what Peter did. He finally got out of his own way. Look at how this ends, verse 22. Or verse, um, I'm sorry, verse 13 of chapter 22. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. This is how God worked it out. Watch this. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. I love this. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it shall be provided. Okay? That's, that's the cry of faith. On the mountain of the Lord it shall be provided. Do you believe the Lord will provide everything you need? A thousand years later, this is a whole sermon in itself, a thousand years later, Solomon, the, the great king in the golden age of Israel, he decides to build a temple, not this little couple stones and a, and a, and a piece of wood, the glorious temple. You know where he wants to build it? Second Chronicles 3 on Mount Moriah. Why? Because he remembered, he's a good Jew, that this is where Abraham sacrificed. This is where the whole burnt offering was born. And that's what worship is about. And then, a thousand years later from Solomon, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was nailed to a tree on Mount Calvary, which was on Mount Moriah. On the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. Do you believe the Lord will provide everything you need? Last verse and we're done. But look at carefully. Paul is making reference in Romans 8 to Genesis 22. He who did not spare his own son, now he's talking not about Abraham, but God, but gave him up for us all. Okay? That's not it. He's not done. How will he not also plus plus, along with him, the Son of God, graciously give you all things. Do you believe the Lord will provide all of your needs? Let me tell you something, friend. If you're a Christian, he already has provided for every one of your needs in his Son, Jesus Christ. The question is, do you know how to get access to it? And what this passage is telling us is this. Our faith is not about getting things from God. It's about God getting a hold of you. Right? God getting, what's keeping you? What do you love more than you love God that you need to let go so that God can become more central in your life? Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this day. We love you. We thank you. And Lord, I pray for all of us, starting with me and and, uh, working my way through this whole congregation. Lord, help me. I, I know that on this you know, February 14th, you don't have all of me. Help me, Lord. Do an inventory, Holy Spirit. Show me where, uh, whether it's an ambition, a longing, a regret, a bitterness, a fear. Help me to know what I need to take to the mountain, so to speak that in its place you might release more of your power, more of your love, more of yourself in my life, in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.